0: Thank you, Susan. I know you've heard the uh, song, Turn Out the Light, the party's over. Well, the honeymoon is over. This is the name of the message today. I'm going to be talking on the marriage. Marriage is so important. Uh, I think that we need to constantly be re-examining this and... You've got to look at the setting here, you've got to look at uh, the perfect condition, and then this is the ideal, and this was before man sinned, and this is what we need to strive for, and so uh, we need to look at this today and see what sin has caused, and, and is there hope? And it, did God intend, even though man sinned, does it God intend for the honeymoon to be over? So let's, um, let's look in Genesis chapter 2. And uh, it says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their host. Verse 1, by the seventh day God completed his work. Uh, verse 3, then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. This is the account of heavens and the earth when they were created in the day of the Lord. When God, the Lord God made earth and heaven. And then in verse 7 it says, then the Lord God formed man of dust from ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being and the Lord God planted a garden towards the east in Eden and there he placed the man with whom he had formed and out of the ground the Lord God caused the ground uh, to grow every tree that is blessed uh, to the side of for good and for food and the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then he said, um, then the Lord, in verse 15, then the Lord uh, God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for the day that you eat. You shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God causes a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at the place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which um, he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just want to thank you for all these wonderful ladies. Lord, we want to thank you for you creating Man and woman. And giving us that wonderful privilege. Of being united together. And forming a family. And God. I just thank you. For the work that they do. In, in helping and in raising the children. And then training them up. In the way that they should go. I thank you for all their commitment. To their not only the family. But to the husband. And and being the. The. Uh, proper helpmate that they need to be, and, and uh, I just praise your name for them, and I just pray that uh, you'll just encourage them and continue to strengthen them and continue to enlighten them in not only being the mother or the grandmother, but uh, along with that uh, in training up the younger generations in the way that they should go, so thank you for these women, these mothers, well, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Honeymoons are delightful, aren't they? I mean, couples today, they plan for some elaborate trips. I mean, boy, they, you know, the cost of them and where they want to go and, and how much they want to spend and all that, you know, if you have the money, that's fine. The Word itself virtually drips with the freshness and excitement of being young and in love honeymoon boy don't you remember that older guys honeymoon that word oh man and so as we look at it the term seems to have been coined to convey the idea idea of the first moon and with it or the first month of marriage and they said that was the idea that it was to be the sweetest and the most satisfying but is that the way God designed marriage we're going to be looking at that in a few moments Were the first weeks or month or even years designed to be the best and most satisfying times of the marriage and then forget about the rest of them I don't find that with the intent of God And marriage. Unfortunately, some marriages have turned out just the way the word honeymoon um, implies the beginning as a best with everything after going downhill. A junior high school student uh, was talking about marriage to some others, and one member of the group seemed to uh, favor the idea. And uh, a friend had noticed his interest in a girl. And he warned him. He said, be careful, Johnny. Puppy love can lead you to a dog's life on a split level. Then there are those high schoolers who caution others who are going steady that marriage is a proposition and it can be a proposition ending in a sentence. You'll get that in a minute. Still later... There are groups before marriage jokingly reminding the groom that the honeymoon is the only, is only the interval between the man's I do and his wife's you'd better. <laughs> then there are those who will tell others about marriage. Marriage is like a violin. After the music, the strings are still attached. Now, these are usually just harmless jokes from uh, friends who are jesting about marriage. But what about the, most, the more serious comments? Many modern uh, sociologists will cite all sorts of statistics and tell us that traditional concepts about marriage, love, and fidelity are outmoded as the horse and buggy and that the mode in which a conventional marriage squeezes a person has its contours determined by long, outdated social mores. That's sad, isn't it? They decry unity within the husband and wife relationship and predict that those who are hooked on togetherness will eventually lack fulfillment in their lives and suffer the consequences of their stagnant personalities. They further tell us that the woman in a marriage settles for second best. Marriage programs her for dependency and, uh, and it, uh, her enforced submission to her husband's authority is tactic admission to her inferiority. Now that is sad, but it's true. This is what our society is being taught today. But you've got to remember that what they're being taught today is teaching after the fall, and it's not what God intended it to be. Marriage programs the woman for dependency and enforced submission to her husband's authority and admission of her inferiority. Boy, that is sad. With such gloom and doom for the marriage, there is no surprise that marriages fail today. The question that arises is, is there any hope for marriages? On what basis may a couple establish a lasting relationship? How how many uh, cultivate healthy interaction in marriage? And where, where may they find a workable plan for their lives that will include the rearing of their children? Well, to answer these, we're going to look at these passages that we read and a few more. From Genesis, in the garden with Adam and Eve. First of all, the environment in which they were created. We need to look at the setting there. That's important. This is what he set marriage to be ideally. And so in chapter 1 of Genesis, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and them have dominion over the earth in verse 26 and 27 And God created man in his image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And then in verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and fill the earth and subdue and rule over it. This was the creation of the earth with mankind being a part of this creation. In chapter 2 we have more details that we read about creation, especially man and woman. And so, both Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. This gave them a common dignity. And we today need to reinforce that in our minds. We have been created in the image of God. Yes, our image has been marred. But once we are born again, we are a new creation in Christ. And we should exemplify this in every way. As persons, they shared equally the attributes of personality. Adam was not inferior to Eve, nor was Eve inferior to Adam. And in sharing the divine image, they were able to enjoy a unique privilege and fellowship with God and with one another. And we need to understand that. We're not inferior to one another. We are created in his image. And we need to enjoy one another. We need to respect one another. Adam's glad acceptance of the woman that God had made for him forms the basis of their relationship. His joyous exclamation provides us with a beautiful and unvarnished description of his recognition of their oneness. They were one. They are ideally suited for each other. But shouldn't they be? It was God who brought them together. This is another important part. We don't need to take marriage lightly, do we? We need to pray for the one that we're going to marry. And we need to pray that God will lead us to that person and that our eyes and their eyes will be open to this union. God made Adam aware of his need, but God did not make Adam aware of his need without planning to meet it. And he does the same thing for us. He caused a deep sleep to fall on him, and after opening Adam's side takes from him a rib and from this he fashions the woman who is to be his helpmate the fact that eve was created from adam's side led augustine to comment if god meant woman to rule over man he would have taken her out of adam's head had he designed her to be his slave he would have taken him from his feet. But God took woman out of man's side. From he, she came to be a helpmeet and an equal to him. When God brings Eve to Adam, he welcomes her and gives the expression in the first love lyrics uh, in all recorded history. In this chapter, it says this. This at last, this is the way it reads, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman for from man she was taken. Eve lacks no charm and and is attractive to Adam's sight. She is arrayed in all human perfection. Could you imagine? And And we see that with this she's radiant in loveliness, beautiful in form, and with intelligence equal to his. She is an ideal counterpart, answering to every need. God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. The word helper there is a partner or ally. Suitable for him means corresponding to him. She was to be a perfect complement to Adam. Made in the image of God just as he was. And then we read in in chapter 2, in verse 4, For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the phrase, man shall leave his father and his mother, Is showing the importance of their relationship. We need to teach this to our children. We need to understand it as parents. We need to understand it as fathers and mothers. It teaches that the man's primary loyalty in life is now to his wife. Did you hear it? Not his parents. The man leaves one family to start another. This is not intended as disrespect though to parents. For one can still respect the parents while making one's wife the object of primary loyalty. This stands true for the woman also. Her primary loyalty is to her husband. They shall become one flesh, identifies the intimacy of the relationship. It is the closest possible union there is besides a union between God and that person. Notice that marriage is between what? One man and one woman. Marriage is just, is thus to be monogamous and heterosexual. Jesus indicated the marriage was intended to be also permanent, an inseparable union. The word of God tells us, and the man and his wife were both naked in chapter 2, verse 25, and were not ashamed. The Bible discreetly draws a veil over the union in the garden. Very respectful. Sufficient for us to know that sex is God's idea. Not man's, God's. Didn't come after sin. It was God before the ideal. At this time, there was to be no sin in them. It was a perfect relationship, a perfect purity and innocence. They were at peace with God. At peace with themselves and at peace with each other. This was a perfect marriage in paradise. This is something that we need to understand. It was perfect environment. We often long for this kind of paradise, don't we? This kind of blissful perfection that our parents, first parents enjoyed. This can never be true of us to the extent of having a perfect paradise because we live in a fallen world but while this cannot be totally true today because of what happened then marriage still holds the greatest potential for joy and happiness it can transcend all other human relationships except your relationship with the lord unfortunately when a husband and or wife treats the other person as a thing instead of a person of worth, their marriage either ends in tragedy or continues in misery. Which leads us to the second point. Why? Well, the choice that they made in in chapter 3. If you'll jump over there to chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The choice that affected man's environment. In Genesis we're told that the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from uh, any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, You shall not eat from it or, did he say this, or touch it? No, lest you die. She added a little bit to it, didn't she? And the serpent said to the woman you surely shall not die for God knows that in the day that you eat your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sold fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. You see, here we have entrance to sin. And with the entrance to sin, paradise lost. Satan is a master of twisting scripture, isn't he? Uh, with his deception comes sin. And with sin comes death, both physically later for them. And spiritually, which was death right then, spiritually. The Hebrew word death uh, carries the idea of separation. So spiritual death involves the separation of the human from God. When Adam and Eve partook of the forbidden fruit, they were immediately separated from God in a spiritual sense. Now their consequence caused an action. And that action was hiding from God in the Garden of Eden. Why? Because it indicated their awareness of the spiritual separation. Didn't understand everything fully, but they understood there was awareness there. That they need to hide from God. They had disobeyed. And they heard the sound in, in chapter 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God, among the trees of the garden, the serpent had come to Eve and tempted her to sin. First, by questioning God's word. Indeed, God has said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Next, Satan denied God's word. He said, you surely shall not die. And then finally, Satan ridiculed God and brazenly distorted his word by saying, for God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan's method has not changed with us throughout history, has it? There's a doubt, denial, and distortions. God had placed that tree in the garden as a symbol of their submission to him. We know that Satan will use whatever he can to accomplish his purpose. He'll even use good things to lure us into disobeying God's will. When Adam and Eve sinned, it says the eyes of both of them were open. Their new knowledge was that of their own nakedness. Suddenly their nakedness became a symb- uh, symbolic of their sin. Chapter 3, verse 7. It exposed them, open to the penetrating eyes of the most highly or ho- holy God. And uh, they tried to cover their bodies with fig leaves, but it was not acceptable to God. Now that they had sinned there had to be the shedding of blood. And the loins cloths they designed were sufficient to cover their bodies. But not their shame. Not their sin. When Adam and Eve sinned they sensed an immediate alienation from God. They hid themselves from God. God had not changed in any way. But they had. They chose to disobey God. And because of their disobedience. The place of joy and fellowship with God now was a place of shame and broken fellowship. Previously, the man and woman had enjoyed a carefree life of fellowship with God. No hindrance. Now, following their sin, they had broken fellowship. They were afraid. They felt alienated. Sin always exacts or demands a high price. We cannot hide from God what we do. God is omniscient, knowing all things. When Adam and Eve rebelled and disobeyed God, they tried to cover their nakedness and hide from God. Neither act work. God asked a rhetorical question, and he said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he, God, said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? God knows all. He already knew what was going on. What he was doing was drawing Adam and Eve out on what they had done. He wanted them to admit it. Adam's response to God's questioning was what? Well, the woman whom you gave me. She gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate. Adam passed a buck and blamed Eve. And included God with whom he blamed. And then Eve passed buck. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. She blamed the serpent for deceiving her. But God held them both responsible for their actions. And what is this that you have done? God held them both responsible for the choice that they had made. So the consequences that came with Adam and Eve's choice. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, and than every beast of the field. And on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. This is the first prediction of the coming of Christ. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your de- desire, in other words, you've already told your husband what to do. Your desire will be to rule over him. But instead of the being equal and beside him, but he will rule over you. And not in the sense of being uh, a, an authoritative uh, authoritarian where it's demanding the right and everything you see there's got to be a balance in there there's got to be that that coming back together of understanding one another that headship there of the man is for protection that headship there of the man is to let the woman know that she is secure in the the marriage that headship of the man is to always understand the woman and her needs and to be there to provide and try to provide and the woman is to come alongside him and to fulfill him and make him everything that God intended him to be and it's to work that way so the consequences led to a break in marriage I mean in that relationship and a struggle but does God leave it that way no no he had an animal sacrificed and covered them with the skin of the animal. The blood must be shed, and he predicted the coming of Christ. And through the coming of, or with the coming of Christ, and through the atonement, the shedding of blood, Christ has allowed us, by faith, by grace through faith, to become a child of His. And the Bible says that by becoming a child of his, we're a new creation in Christ. And we begin to see things the way that we should see things. Do we always act that way? No. But God's word is there and we should work in communicating with one another as couples to be the family that we need to be. And when tough things come and when disagreements come, We should show our children and let me tell you don't look at me as a perfect father. I'm not. How we work through those. But even when we fail like I have failed we need to understand that God's forgiveness is there and make things right and try to allow others to see that we live in a fallen world. It doesn't excuse us for our behavior but it does help us as believers to work to be a stronger couple in in marriage and a stronger family as husband and wife. Showing our children that we can work through things. Yes, we live in a fallen world today. Yes, we're no longer in paradise but yes, we have the covering. We have Christ. We have the atonement. And we have the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. No, we won't be in paradise, this side of the millennial and new heaven and new earth. We won't be. But we will, we can, through our struggles, admit them, seek them, And some of us may be saying, well, you know, I've really failed. I've blown it. Well, let your family know that you're not perfect. And God has something better for them. And they don't have to blow it. But they've got to work at it. Share with them maybe where you might have failed or, or whatever. Or what has come about there. You see, couples don't want to admit that today. We're forgiven for whatever in the Lord. Amen. Let the people know, but encourage our children to work harder at it if we have failed. And then some of us are still together, but we're miserable. We're just miserable. We may have built everything around our children. We may have built everything around activities, whatever. And now the children are gone. And we're looking at one another saying, who are you? We need to start building that relationship. Communicating. And remembering that God brought you together to work at it. So that you can be an example. Not perfect, but an example to help with others who will be struggling. Who will realize that there's conflicts out there. And let them know that there will be conflicts. Don't give them the, okay, once you're married, you won't have any more problems. No, no. Once you're married, you will have problems because Satan will come and try to destroy your union and let them know this. And may we work together. Thank you, mothers. Thank you, women, who have worked at it. Whether you had children or whatever, and whether you failed or whatever, thank you that you've worked at it in being truthful, and I hope you're still being truthful. Showing others that God still works in your life and works miracles. And thank you for showing it to the younger generation. Let's bow our heads in prayer.